0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be back with all of you. Um, I had a uh, great time last week celebrating a win, but I really enjoy being with all you guys. So no fear, I'm not going to get season tickets. So yeah, Ange just said, we'll see. Um, No joke, uh, I came in to the sanctuary Stood next to my wife during the worship time, and she scowled at me. I was like, "What did I do? Like, do you ever like husbands? Do you ever like just think like, what did I do this time?" Um, <laughs> and she looks at me and she says, "You have brown's colors on." <sighs> it is Thanksgiving. So that's what I was going for. Um, So pray for me after the service. (laughs) Hey, uh, just as a quick reminder for our elders, we are having a meeting tomorrow night at 630. So we'll be meeting here at the church. So I just want to remind you um, with the quick turn around with it and being away, it didn't make it into the bulletin this week. So tomorrow, and, and just pray for us, uh, church. Uh, pray for us tomorrow night as we meet and uh, just continue to, to seek the Lord's face for uh, His wisdom as we lead here. I'm going to admit something to you today that I haven't said before. Well... So. Some of you are like really stressed out about this. Um, it's something that began when my kids were young and it continues to this day. I am an A-Full. An A-Full stands for an adult fan of Lego. Over, you're like, what is going on here? <laughs> and if this is your first time here, just stay with us. <laughs> um, so, when my kids were young, they began getting sets of Legos that w- I would help them build. And we would begin amassing piles of Lego all around our house. And through the years, I began collecting my own sets. And it's actually my wife's fault. Um, <laughs> because. <laughs> Listen, everything's okay. Seriously, we should hug or something. Um, I can't remember how many years ago it was, but maybe around 2014, 2015, for my birthday, she got me a Lego Batman show set, like the 60s classic. So that's kind of what ignited this. And as I was building with my kids, I'm like, oh, this is fun. And so there's a whole category of sets that are for ages 16 and 18 and older. So I'm just a big kid. I get it. Um, We have many of these on display throughout our house, uh, primarily in our basement, in our family room. And I remember one time someone from church came over. He saw like we have like two shelves. And uh, well, she says three now. It's three now. It was two then. Um. Someone came over and saw them and said, Oh, those are cool. Are they your kids? And I was like, no. (laughs) Um, But to my credit, though, Levi does have his own shelf. So he's following in his father's footsteps. But one of the things that I appreciate uh, is the amazing detail that can be constructed with such small and varied pieces. We have a cross-section of sets, but uh, the buildings are my favorite to build. And here's an example of uh, the detail that is found in those sets. Um, and, and, you know, just appreciate um, just how cool they are. So um, you, you get them in this box, and you dump out all the pieces. And, and there's uh, an instruction manual, and some of them are hundreds of pages long. But when they're finished, they become super stable and strong and you spend a lot of time on the foundation as you're building these buildings. I mean, like pages upon pages and you're building for a while and you look at it like I'm not even close to to finishing what it's supposed to look like. And yet I was thinking about this thought as I was reading the text today in 1 Peter chapter 2, and, and, and the thought that came to me was the fact that what Peter is sharing to these believers that are pilgrims on their way home is that God is building something far superior through the living stones of the church of Jesus Christ. And we need to understand what God is building. We, not, we need to understand why he's building it, and we also need to understand how we fit in to such a marvelous building. This is important for us, and, and it truly is, because I think sometimes as a church, we often forget who we are together. Like, we spend a lot of time reminding ourselves of who we are in Christ individually. But the Bible has a lot to say about who we are together as the people of God, as the family of God. Listen, it's important for you to individually grow in grace as you mature in your faith. But it is also equally important for us, for our church, to grow in grace together. That God wants us to be that community that he has planned for, that he has provided for, that he, in his sovereign wisdom, decided to send his son to intervene for. Peter challenges us to remember that we are, we are a unique spiritual community that is built on the person of Jesus Christ And as such, we have special privileges to enjoy these privileges that God has provided for, for those who are in the faith, that we are a unique community, that God, by his grace, has provided for us opportunities that no one else has. And I think sometimes we miss out on that. Being in the faith, being a part of Christ, being a people that have been redeemed and set apart for the purposes of God. And we go through seasons and stages of our life where we are not tapping into the resources that God has provided through Christ. And we often face those moments and seasons thinking, what's wrong? Why do I feel this? This despair in my heart. Why, why don't I feel connected to Jesus? And, and we forget that as a people, we have a privilege to enjoy. That we can go to God at any moment. And we serve Him as living priests of a holy God that have been set apart for a special purpose. That we give an offering that is truly unique than any other kind of offering that a person can bring. That because of Jesus. We can give a sacrifice of praise to him. That brings us into his presence. So that we can enjoy who he is. But what God is building. And what we are a part of. Is often neglected and forgotten listen you can attend church you can attend a church service you can be sitting next to other christians and miss the value and beauty of being fit together into the building that god is building and you can walk in individually and leave individually and you're missing out on the great treasure of what it means to be joined together as Christ is the cornerstone. And so we want to unpack these wonderful, amazing truths this morning. We want to spend time really mining through the Old Testament because the passage that we're going to look at here in 1 Peter chapter 2 is one of the largest collections of Old Testament images in the New Testament. Just one after another, Peter is drawing his readers' attention to what God had already declared and what he is really super-providing, over-providing through this unique fellowship that is called the Church of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you understand that the community that you belong to in the church is precious. It is the most precious, unique fellowship of people that you will ever belong to this side of heaven that it's eternal that nothing nobody not even the devil himself will overcome it that we belong right now to a little piece of heaven that it will last forever And we should enjoy that. We should long for it. We should, like seriously, the thought of being gathered together, whether it's at the church service or a community fellowship group, like one of our life groups or one of our discipleship opportunities, like just being together with God's people. Like you should be like a kid on Christmas Eve, Saturday night saying, I can't wait to get to church. I can't wait. To be with God's people, to sing God's praises, and to be together to lift up His name. I don't know if I always feel that way. But boy, this passage really recalibrated my heart to the beauty of the church. Now, we want to look at all of these Old Testament images within the, the backdrop of how they were given. See, in the Old Testament, God gave great detail for how the nation of Israel was to be organized. How the function of their relationship with God was to be administered. And Peter draws on this picture and he explains how much more superior it is in the church age through God's son to belong to the community of the church. Listen, the Old Testament was just a shadow. It was just a shadow of what is revealed in the New Testament age. God was beginning a relationship with the people, Israel. And he had made promises to them. And Israel had forsaken those promises. And when God sent the Savior, their Messiah, they rejected him. And yet we had in the Old Testament all of these allusions to the community that God was building and how they were to function in that relationship and how when the Savior came, how when Messiah would come, that they would be in the prime position to to be in that close fellowship that God was promising through a relationship through His Son. And they rejected Him. And it's not that God hit the plan B button and stopped and called a timeout and said, "Okay, what do I do now? But what we see is that God had also made promises, even in the Old Testament, to build a greater community, not just through Israel, but through the Gentiles, through the world that he was going to call a people to himself. And when Israel rejected their Messiah, God didn't say, I'm done with you. But what God did was he said, I'm going to set you aside now. And as he sets Israel aside, he says, now I'm going to work through this community of people that do believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the savior of not just the Jewish people, but he is the savior of the world, that he came to die on the cross for every person's sin, and that when a person believes in Jesus as Lord and Savior, they are grafted in, brought into this new covenant community, and they are called the church. And I go into great detail to explain that because it's passages like these in first in Peter two, where many in the church read it and they say, well, God is certainly done with Israel altogether and that the church has certainly replaced Israel in God's plan. But that is not so. The testimony of the rest of the New Testament says and agrees with the fact that God is not finished with the people that he made promises to through Moses. Through David. That when Paul says in Romans 11 that Israel, due to their unbelief, has been set aside for their unbelief, it also means that God is going to return to those people. And that's really important for us to understand that God makes promises and He keeps those promises even when we don't see it being lived out. That God will return. But until then, in this what we call dispensation of time, this economy of time, God is working through the church. He's working through us. This is the community in this time that he is building. So let's be careful not to read in 1 Peter 2 that the church has replaced Israel, but that through Christ, God has provided a better way for his people to have access to him. And that's what Peter is saying. Let me read to you 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to read the whole passage and then we're going to step back and look at verses in the passage. So 1 Peter chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 4 through 10. Hear the word of God. And coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious, The very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense for they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to this doom. They were also appointed, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You, are not, you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen? Amen. What truths, what amazing truths. That Peter draws his audience to hear. And these are people that desperately needed to hear that they were a part of something greater. That they were on God's side. That they belong to something far superior than where they came from. Because as these people came to faith, the people where they came from rejected them and persecuted them and tried them. And they were a people, as Peter opened this letter and says, listen, you're just passing through. And you're going through persecutions and trials. But God is using that to refine your faith. But understand this. You're not alone in the journey of faith. You're together in a greater community. Oh church, I hope you see the value of belonging to God's people. That you are not alone. Yes, you have a father that loves you. And yes, you have a family to belong to. So Peter begins in verses 4 through 5, and this introduces us to the the greater community that God is calling us to. And, and, And it begins on the understanding that we are coming to him, who is Jesus, as to a living stone. Now, Peter is using a bit of hyperbole here, right? How many of you have ever seen a living stone? I'm not talking about pet rocks. I'm talking about living stones. Stones are not alive. They don't breathe. They don't move on their own. They're just a pile that is out in creation. And Peter says, but we're coming to Jesus as to a living stone. And in using this analogy to, to help us to understand who Jesus is... He's helping us to see that Jesus is the true and living foundation of the church. Because every foundation of every building is built on some kind of stonework. And I'm talking about foundations. I'm not talking about buildings that are just built on the ground. I'm talking about buildings that have foundations. Whether it's cement or concrete or something. But there's some kind of hard Material that is put into the ground so that what is built upon it doesn't move. And Peter says, The building that God is building is built upon the living stone of Jesus Christ. And that might seem obvious to say, but the danger is that many forget that the church is really about Jesus. It's not about us, it's not about our felt needs. It's not about our own desires, but that the church, the true church, is all about Jesus Christ and his purposes and his work in the world. And sadly, there are many churches around us that focus on keeping each other happy than rather pursuing godliness through Christ Jesus. Jesus is the founder and foundation from whom the church is built upon. And as Peter is saying, he is living. Jesus is alive. He's not just a, a figurehead that existed at a point in history that everyone's like, well, we'll start a following after this guy who did a lot of great things. And yeah, he died for the cause that he came for, but he's still dead. No, he's alive. He is victorious. He is God Himself. And this living stone, sadly, has been rejected by men, as Peter says, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. Peter refers to Psalm 118, verse 22. He states what is said later in verse 7. That the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. that mankind as a whole looks at this choice, precious, cornerstone that is precious in God's eyes, that is set apart for God's greater purpose. The world looks at this stone that should be the stone that all flock to, that all find their harbor in, that all find they're building their lives upon, and the world looks at him and rejects him, turns away from him. And this stone that they rejected trips them up. And becomes a rock of of offense. The world has rejected the gift of the choice cornerstone by and large. But listen, God is building something very special through those who are joined by faith to the living stone. And yet what he is building is ridiculed and mocked. You know that. You don't have to go very far in in our culture to understand just how strange and frustrating and negative that people view the church. The community that God has set apart. They look at us as a bunch of holy rollers or a bunch of hypocrites or a bunch of people that are just religiously active To an unknown, if possible, or a made-up fairy tale to kind of inoculate our souls. And we know, though, that the God that we come to has invited us to come. And He came for us to redeem us from all of the brokenness that we know we have. It's the same brokenness that the world has. It's the same lostness. It's the same frustration of why is life this way? And we know that it's this way because of us. But that the only remedy and restoration that can be provided is through this choice cornerstone that was given to come. This stone either joins people to Him or becomes the point of tripping to the point of their destruction. So, if you look at First Peter chapter two, one of the big things that you want and you need to see really is that in life it all comes down to one question: Who is Jesus? That's it. Like, what do we think about who Jesus is? We're either going to be joined to him if we respond affirmatively or we're going to trip to our doom if we reject him. There's no middle ground. There's no riding the fence. There's no ambivalence. You either receive him or reject him. But Peter says for those who receive him. You are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That you're being built up into God's house. Into the place where God resides. The church is the collection of pilgrims and aliens who are passing through to their final home. And although we are pilgrims and aliens, we are not alone you are not alone. Each one of you is essential to what God is building. Each one of you enables the whole structure to fulfill its greater purpose. It was Peter who heard these words about what Christ is building in the Gospel of Matthew. And I I, I think because of Peter's experience and what Jesus said to him, laid into the greater understanding of what he is revealing to these pilgrims and aliens under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It was in Matthew 16, right? When Jesus says, That in that great declaration of faith that Peter showed at that point, right? And we know that Peter was far from perfect because it's going to be a few chapters later that the same Peter that made that declaration is denying Jesus as he is being tried and crucified for Peter's sins. For our sins. But here, Peter makes that declaration. And and Jesus says, Peter on this rock, and and, and Peter's name means rock, and so there's a play on words there. Peter on this rock, I will build my church. Now, the, the Catholic Church has said, well, that's why Peter is the first pope of the church. Well, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus isn't saying, Peter, I'm building the church upon you. What Jesus is saying is, Peter, I'm building the church upon that declaration of me. And when Peter made and expressed that declaration, Jesus said, now you're on to something, Peter. Because what I am building is based on that. And what do we know about that? The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What we belong to will never perish. Will never be overturned. Will never be subverted. Subverted. Nothing will change the direction and the precious place that the church has in God's plans. Now, in verses 4 and 5, when Peter keeps referring to these living stones, whether they are the living stone of Christ or the living stones that we are that, that fit into God's building, he's not just referring to rough cut stones, It's not like just going to a rock quarry and picking out rocks and just trying to make something. No, the kind of stone that Peter was using in in the Greek language refers to the kind of stone that a stonemason would pick out and chip away and carve. and, And it would be a kind of a building stone that was cut and dressed for building. And it shows that the purpose behind every one that is fit together into what God is building. And what that tells me is that God fits you and me perfectly together into a great spiritual house. That he doesn't make mistakes or accidents. That every one of us is put in the right place. But it's not just a building made with hands. While we have a great building here to gather together at 4590 Hill Church Road, what Peter is saying here is, no, we're not talking about a physical place. We're talking about the spiritual home where God's people belong to. So it's not just the local church, but it's the true universal church of every believer. Every person that has placed their faith in Jesus Christ. That God is building us together and he does so for his glory. He builds the spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices. And this imagery takes us back to the Old Testament and it takes us back to the book of Exodus. It takes us back to the time when God called Israel out of Egypt and on their way into the promised land, God through Moses was giving them promises That you are my covenant people. You are the precious people. That I will be your God and you will be my people. And as they were walking together, they stopped at a mountain. And Moses went to the top of the mountain and he heard from God. And Moses came down and he wrote what he heard from God on tablets of stone. The Ten Commandments. The beginning of that relationship. And as Moses came down off the mountain, the people of God were worshiping a golden calf because they were afraid that Moses was gone too long and what would happen. So they turned an unseen relationship with the living God into something tangible that they could put their hands on. And they melted down all their gold and said, let us worship this. And when Moses came down and God was angry the dynamic of what they were to be changed. because of the nation of Israel, all of them were to be a royal priesthood. But it changed, and God said no, not all of them, but only a few of them will be ministering priests. And out of the tribes of Israel that were called, he went to the tribe of Levi and he set apart that group of people to be priests to him. And what do priests do? They minister on behalf of others. But here, Peter says that for every person in the living building that God is building, every person that has received Jesus Christ, you are a priest to the living God. You are. I don't know if you feel that way this morning. I don't know if you feel that way on Thursday afternoon. But you are a living priest of the living God. And you are called... To make an acceptable expression of worship to him, spiritual sacrifices that he is pleased in. Everything that Peter says in the Old Testament of a tabernacle and a temple, a place to go and a thing to do, right, that is how the relationship was mediated, is changed in Jesus Christ. That we don't come to a building to worship God. That we worship the living God wherever we are as living priests. And that all that we do out of the overflow of our heart should be offered as a sacrifice that is, that is spiritual and acceptable. Like it's a good thing that we don't have to go around killing a bunch of animals. To make our worship pleasing in God's eyes. It'd be a bloodbath all the time for all of us. And, and you know, it wouldn't just be for the priests that were doing it, but you would have to do it yourself. Some of you are like, yeah, bring it. I mean, it's deer season, let's go. But you know, for like all of us, it's like, that would, that's strange to us. And the fact is, we don't have to offer sacrifices like that anymore because once and for all it was offered on the cross. And the blood of Jesus was pay, spilled to pay for our sins once and for all. And so what do we do? We don't come to God through the blood of bulls and goats. We come to God through Christ and we enter the holy place. And what do we do as we stand in the presence of this holy God? We sing His praises forever. We enjoy Him. We worship Him. I don't know if, I, if I'm if i honest can say that I always do that, that I'm always mindful of that, that I'm aware that my life is a living sacrifice, as Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, set apart, as Peter says here, as spiritual sacrifices. So in the Old Testament, only a select group could approach the Lord. But in the New Testament, all of us in faith who are fit together in his community have a priestly service to offer up to God. We serve in this new house to constantly offer sacrifices that are pleasing through Him. And it's an expression of our worship and gratitude to Him. It's not just the songs that we sing, it's a part of it. It's not just the songs, though. It's really everything that we do. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. It's voluntary but led through the prompting ministry of the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of God is working in our lives. We are ministering priests together and we offer spiritual sacrifices in all that we do. So to support this picture, Peter takes us through the Old Testament. In verses 6 through 8, we read, For this is contained in Scripture, and let's just stop there for a second, and just consider the weight of those words. For this is contained in Scripture. What Peter is saying then is this isn't a new idea. This isn't something brand new. That what he is about to say is vetted in the sufficiency of God's word. That he's not coming up with his own idea on things. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he takes these readers through a a historical lesson through the Old Testament. What does he say? We see precious value. Oh, what value. For those who disbelieve, the very stone that we find great value in trips them up to their doom. Now, Peter quotes Isaiah 28.16. It was on the top of your bulletin on the left-hand side. Brian shared it I think at least twice in the worship service that that Peter is drawing on uh, what God is doing. He says, I lay in Zion. Zion in in the Old Testament imagery is the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, the the place where God dwells. That's Zion. It wasn't just the, the physical place of Jerusalem, but it was Zion the place where God lives. And this great city of God is where God dwells. The cornerstone is precious and one where all who believe are not disappointed. And, and the disappointment isn't just on us, that we're not going to be disappointed. In fact, the, the, the construction of this sentence in the original language means that not be disappointed means that the cornerstone will never be put to shame. And because the cornerstone is never put to shame, those who come and place their faith in him will never be put to shame. For those who believe, we find this precious value, right? We get it. Like for those who love Jesus, when you talk about Jesus, what happens to you, right? I had a, a Bible teacher and I've shared this before, but he, anytime he, we read through one of the deep places of scripture that reveal awesome truths about who God is and who we are in Christ, he would say, if that doesn't give you uh, goose pimples on your duck bumps, there's something wrong with you. Right, if, if something inside of you, as you hear the word of God and reveal the truth of what God is doing in your life, doesn't excite you. If you're not ready to jump out of your seat and praise God for who he is. There's something wrong. Because we are a people that are not bound up by our social priorities of making sure everything is fit and nice and safe. We're spiritual people that worship a spiritual God. And it causes our hearts. Now, now the working out of that is different for each person. Uh, let's be true to that. But our hearts should be moved. Because we find precious value in who Jesus is. We know the cost involved in our salvation. The gift of the redemptive sacrifice of Christ. To us, Jesus is the most precious gift we could ever receive. But for those who disbelieve, this rejected stone becomes a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. The gospel has opposite effects. On believers and unbelievers. There's no neutrality. There's no middle of the road. There's no fence sitting, right? You believe and the gospel is affirmative. You, you have no belief and the gospel becomes the tripping point upon where your eternal destiny is settled. There's no neutrality with it. What does Peter add? Well, he adds that the unbelieving response of those who reject Christ stumble because they are disobedient to the word. And to this doom, they were also appointed. Now, that sentence in and of itself carries a lot of weight to it. Like we got to think about what Peter is saying. That God appoints those who stumble to stumble because they do not believe. God does not ordain their disobedience. But the penalty of their disobedience. You see that? We're going to unpack this, but this is important because there are some in the church believe that this verse teaches that God predestines unbelievers to hell before they were ever born. I'm serious. It's called the doctrine of double predestination. That God appoints some to faith, that are the elect, and we believe that the, scripture, the scriptures teach it. But then they look at First Peter chapter two, and they say, "Well, that and then that we also see that God also appoints those who don't believe to doom. Like there's no opportunity. And if that's true, then why witness? Why share the gospel? Why be involved in this grand plan that God has to evangelize the world? I don't believe the scriptures teach that God appoints unbelievers to doom before they're ever born. I don't think the scriptures affirm that in any way. While God has chosen beforehand the foundation before the foundation of the world, those who will believe, and we've already talked about that in 1 Peter chapter 1. Those who are chosen must respond to the message of the saving gospel. Those who do not believe by their disobedience to the word are appointed for doom, which is the eternal judgment. Why are they appointed for doom? Because they disbelieve the word. That's where they're, why they're appointed. The judgment is because of disobedience, not because... They were appointed beforehand. The Bible always places the responsibility for the destiny of the lost on the lost for their unbelief. Never on just, well, God just decided. What kind of God is that? If that's what He does. The point in these verses is for Peter to show us the honored status that we have belonging to the cornerstone upon who our lives are built upon. And then he says in verses 9 and 10, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So this is what Peter says, right? But you. So who is the you? Those who are in the faith. Those who belong to Jesus Christ. They're the pilgrims, the aliens, the strangers that were called by God. And believe through faith in the gift of the Son. And that's us. So if you want to, if this will help you, uh, beside verses 9 and 10, just write these words. My identity. This is who I am. This is how God sees me. This is what I'm set apart for. And in a world where people are struggling to find their identity and they try in many different ways They try to fit into a club, a people group, a clique. They try to pursue a certain hobby or or fit in that way. Or they try to make themselves look a certain way and act a certain way so that they feel a sense of belonging. What Christ is saying for us is that because of faith in Jesus Christ, we do belong to something superior. We are set apart for something greater. Let us never settle for anything else than to be a part of God's family and find our identity and security in the cornerstone of him. So who are you? Well, Peter says you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, bully nation, and a people for God's own possession. These are all quotations from the Old Testament. They once found their origin in the nation of Israel. But now in Christ, through, the, through faith, Peter is saying that God is showing us the full reality of those promises. Chosen people from Deuteronomy 7, royal priesthood, a holy nation from Exodus 19. And we are certainly a people of God's own possession. That Peter shows that those who belong to Christ are brought into the community of faith to fulfill the greater purposes of belonging to God in a covenant community. These promises were once for Israel, and yet, because of their rejection, God set them aside. And now God is saying, through this new community, in this special time, as God is wanting to use His people to announce His Son to the world, this is who you are. We are a spiritual race. We're not a national community. We are nations of priests and that we worship, intercede, and minister to God together. We have right access to God under God's governance. And we belong to him as his possession as we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You haven't and we haven't replaced Israel because, but because of our faith, we enjoy a special status as God's possession. We were once not a people. Like, think about that. You were once not a people. But now you're a people. We were once a people that had not received mercy. But we've received mercy. Church, the mystery in my mind as we read verses 9 and 10 and really the larger section isn't who is the church and who is Israel. Like that, I'm not worried about that. The mystery as I see it is who am I to be treated in such a precious way? Who am I that I was once not a person but now I am a part of the people of God? Who am I that I am a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation and a people for God's own possession? Who am I? that God would use me to call light into darkness? Who am I that I belong to a royal priesthood and a spiritual house to offer up spiritual sacri- sacrifices acceptable to God? Like, who are we to be a part of such goodness? And then Peter says, we were once a people that had not received mercy. You know what mercy is, right? Mercy is God withholding what we justly deserve. We were on a path of destruction and the grace of God intervened. And Jesus came and He died for us. And He says, come to me. And He invited us to a relationship with Him. That in that relationship, He forgives our sin because He took our place. And the just demands of a holy God were satisfied. So we are no longer designated for doom due to disobedience. But we are set apart for eternity. We are living stones built upon the chief cornerstone, the living stone of Jesus Christ. Our purposes are to proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. But remember who you are. And know that you are not alone. That you are fit together into God's spiritual house. Our identity is to make much of Him. To proclaim Him. To, with all that we offer and all that we tell, show others that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world and He will never be disappointed. Let's pray.